Okay. okay. We are recording. All right. Well, today I have the pleasure of talking with Gretchen Baskerville, author of The Life-Saving Divorce. Gretchen's work helps partners take the next step after getting clarity from doing the kind of work that redemption from biblical battering provides. Her Facebook group provides a support from others going through the challenges of thinking about or actually separating, uh, divorcing, and into the recovery. Um, I am so pleased she has helped so many women and men who have struggled with the confusion around divorcing uh, within your faith beliefs. Welcome, Gretchen. Thank you so much, Shirley. It's great to be with you. You've been facilitating divorce recovery groups for over 20 years now. How did you get started in that? Well, uh, about 25 years ago, when I was a young mother in my early 30s, I had just gone through a life-saving divorce uh, from a man with uh, immoral and illegal behavior. And I was trying to raise my little children alone. I was exhausted. I was overwhelmed. Um, and due to my husband's illegal uh, behavior, I ended up with sole custody, which I was happy about that. But I felt lonely. I felt like I had this black cloud over my head. I thought I'd never be happy again. Um, I, I felt that my life was over and that my children, uh, due to getting a divorce, you know, would just turn out to be emotional basket cases and juvenile delinquents. And um, so I, and I divorced to find relief from my, my husband's uh, behavior. And I did find that. I mean, it was just good. It was a huge sigh of relief to get away from him and to feel like we were safe. But I had no hope for a happy future. And... Um, Boy, was I wrong. You know, God had bigger plans for me than I ever dreamed. And about two years into my divorce, our church was looking for, to, uh, they wanted to start some new small groups and they wanted some women's small groups. And there was another single mom in my Sunday school class. And we looked across the room at each other and we were like, yeah, we need a small group for single mothers in this church. Now it was a mega church. So we had a, you know, there was a good chance that we had a lot of of single mothers. And so we ran that group for the next six years without a break, uh, week after week after week, meeting with uh, single mothers, the vast majority of whom were uh, divorced and really struggling to make sense of it all. So that's how I got started. Well, it sounds like you really do understand where uh, recently separated or struggling believers are coming from. Absolutely. Uh, that's that's so great that you had that opportunity. Uh, your breakthrough book, The Life-Saving Divorce, was published in 2020 and began your you began a, your Facebook group the same year. Now, how has that added to uh, what you understood before from doing the recovery work? Wow, uh, it, it's added a lot. Um, and I'll tell you why. You know, when you've done this for 20 years, you start to get a little cocky, right? You start to think, well, I know it all. You know, I've seen everything. I, I actually used to say, surely you're going to really laugh. I used to say, there's nothing you can tell me about your marriage or about your divorce that I haven't seen before. Oh, no. Even after 20 years, uh, I still see things that I've never seen before. Wow. My husband, so I, I was single for 20 years after. Um, so that means I... I remarried in my mid fifties and that was just four years ago. And my husband said, my new husband said, you know, you've really got to interview a lot of people because not everybody is a, a California Christian. Some people, um, you know, you need to interview people from, from Texas, Florida, New York, uh, the, you know, the Midwest, you need people from Ohio and Nebraska and you need people from Canada you don't really know anything about anything <laughs> unless you've really done a ton of interviews. And so that's what I did. And he was absolutely right. Um, you know, I think that each person 
comes from a part of the country where they look at the issues a little bit differently. And that was phenomenal for me. So uh, you asked me how, how it's been going. Well, the book was published last year of The Life-Saving Divorce. And the title alone gave people words for their own, you know, much needed divorces. Absolutely. It wasn't a frivolous divorce. Right. It was a life-saving right. divorce. Yeah. So just, just the title alone, I had no idea what a good title that was, <laughs> but people, but it was like, people were like instantly, okay, I get it. Now I can explain it to other people. Absolutely. You no, know, I didn't, I didn't, uh, you know, I wasn't a quitter. I got a life-saving divorce. Anyway, the book has more than 185 star reviews on Amazon, which also really surprised me. Fabulous. Thank you. And then I started a private Facebook group in 2020. Um, it's called the Life Saving Divorce for Separated and Divorced Christians. And that took off more than I expected. Um, let's see, I started it, yeah, um, first half of 2020. And now it's got more than 2,500 women and men who needed life-saving divorces. So that, and, and so now I even learn more, you know, now when I throw out a question to my group, I learn things I didn't even learn while I was doing interviews. So uh, the idea that, you know, um, you know, a pastor or a counselor who, who probably have seen fewer than a hundred people in their whole professional career, know everything there is to know about divorce is is um, probably a little far-fetched because I'm still learning and this has been a big part of my life for over 20 years and I run that Facebook group as you probably well know uh, you, you're on Facebook a lot too um, hours every day interacting with people and and posting links and and helping answer questions so as I was writing the book, and then I did a second edition of my book, I uh, learned a lot from these interviews and then from people on social media. So I, I've been, um, one of the other thing that I've, I've learned um, from doing this book is how much we as Christians are really, um, we don't ask a lot of questions, we're super trusting. And so when someone makes a claim about divorce and kids, and what effect it will have on kids or divorce and uh, uh, adults and what effect uh, and the level of happiness or lack of happiness you'll have. We never ask any questions about that. We never say, well, show me the source. Well, show me the study. Um, give me more evidence of that. Whoever said that? Who were the, who were the researchers who did that study? Were, was that a study of, of 10 people or was it a study of a thousand people? And we are pretty gullible. I mean, you know, we trust our churches and we trust our pastors so much that we're just incredibly gullible at anything that a Christian says. Um, and the other thing I discovered in the last two or three years is that Christians have almost no correct information on the topic of divorce and what it does to kids and divorce and what it does to adults. Um, and when it comes to the past 30 years of research, um, the people who inform us and give, tell, teach us, they omit really important facts and they distort a lot of the research findings, even when they do quote the actual researchers. So, you know, those are some of the, that was kind of one of the ugly things I, I learned while um, researching this book. Uh, but um, that kind of gives you an overview of, you know, what I've learned since it came out. Well, that's fabulous because with the social media now, it gets dispersed and opens the windows uh, because as you know, you feel like you're in a box. And not only do you not know how to get out, you don't think you have permission to get out. Exactly. And, uh, so the torment, you know, is, uh, is very great. Um, what I learned talking about studies, what I learned is that religious victims stay longer in abusive relationships. Uh, one study found that they stay 11.4 years versus 8.6 years. The abuse had continued for 9.4 years versus 7.4 years. In one Arizona county, 42% of the 600 abused residents attended weekly church services. Oh, wow. So the weekly 
churchgoers. These aren't just in the marginal, yes. you know, cultural Christians. They've, they're putting in the time and effort to get up Sunday mornings and go. Wow. 600, okay. 600 uh, shelter residents, 42% wow. attend weekly church services. Um, the, my workbook, Redemption from Biblical Battery, tries to remove the seven levels of confusion around religious domestic abuse for women uh, because victims in their home have so much shame, they don't come forward for help. And so it's very difficult to minister uh, to men or women in this situation. Uh, have you found any keys to reach the victims because your audience is one step uh, further than my workbook? What I'm trying to do is get the person, the reader to clarify for themselves, what do I need to do now that I've been rid of all these misconceptions and misinformation and I've come out from under the manipulation and the deception and all the tactics that are used and I start to see the light of God again, what do I need to do? So have, have you found any keys to reach uh, the victims? Well, I, you know, like you said, your book is kind of the pathway that they need to start with, you know, uh, coming to realize this is abuse and no, this isn't God's will for me and I don't deserve it. And, um, you know, my, my spouse's really um, dangerous marriage, um, marriage destroying sin. They like to blame it on me, but it's not really my fault. He stands before God alone. Um, and so they need to go through a, a workbook like yours first. Uh, I always say, uh, I use the fishing analogy, you catch them, Shirley, and I clean them. So, <laughs> um, <laughs> but, <laughs> so, I mean, books like yours that describe examples of abuse and are very empathetic, start to open people's minds and give them permission to break through the shame these victims feel. And I really understand shame. Uh, I stayed in shame even after my divorce, I think until, let's see, 2012, so nine years ago. So I had already been divorced, uh, uh, what, what is that, 15 years before I really broke through the shame. And that was an amazing year for me. Um, and, and, you know, in your book, you ask your, your readers about God. Is, is, uh, is God that self-centered egotist like your spouse? Or does he love you as a beloved daughter? Are you more valuable than a sparrow? Or are you just worthless and disgusting? Um, and then you uh, offer divorce as a godly option. And that's what my book, that's where my book kind of uh, takes it to the next level. Um, we need to offer divorce as a godly option um, because it's really important. Many of them have never heard that in some cases divorce, and I'm talking about life-saving divorces. We're not talking frivolous divorces. Life-saving divorces, it's very often the divorce is the best and most godly path to protect them and their children. So, uh, and then books like mine, uh, I know you have a lot of Bible verses in yours, um, but I really wanted to dig down. I've got 50 pages on the biblical basis for uh, divorce, not only for infidelity and abandonment, but also for physical and emotional abuse and, and uh, addictions. And it shows how the top researchers all agree uh, that uh, divorce is likely better for children if the home is toxic. So I've got a whole nother chapter on kids and divorce uh, where you know you, you figure out how to rank your own home and the toxicity and the conflict in your home and you determine whether or not it's likely that a divorce would be better for your kids or not. I'm not gonna tell you that, but I will tell you what research has found. Um, the, other, you know, the other reason they stay is due to the messages they've gotten from their churches. And we all know that, especially that abuse is not a valid biblical reason for divorce. Um, and I did a survey in my private group and found that nearly eight in 10 believed that abuse was not grounds for divorce in God's eyes. And that's scary. That means that a lot of women and men in my group 
uh, were being driven to despair and depression and suicide. And they've told me their stories. Uh, many are afraid they'll be killed. Others are staying in a violent, demeaning situation because they uh, are afraid that if they leave and have to share joint custody with their ex, that he will hurt the children, maybe even kill the children. And so we really have to look at the messages our church gives us and uh, the lack of uh, real access to research that we've, we have as Christians have been given access to. That is so important. Uh, you know, it isn't that long ago that a woman being assaulted in her home could not file charges against her husband. Right. It wasn't even classified as assault because it was within the home. And so this education that you're doing and that other advocates are doing that I'm doing is so important. And to have this platform that's uh, so accessible and easily uh, broadcast is so fabulous. So the facing these enormous challenges, uh, what has been the bottom line that that you've learned for most or many of the the uh, survivors? What was their bottom line in saying, I just right. can't do this anymore? Right, right. What was the straw that what was the bottom line? What was the straw that broke the camel's back? What was that shattering event that finally woke them up? Um, one thing I've learned from all my interviews and from running a group like this is that everyone is different. Each person has different circumstances. What got you out, what got me out was different from what got other people out. So I uh, identified in my book, 10 different common turning point. I call them turning points. It's that moment when the light goes on and they finally get desperate enough to, to leave. Again, just for our listeners, these aren't, you know, greener grass divorces or I'm bored divorces. These aren't, I miss the party life divorce, or, you know, I'm really kind of um, disappointed that my husband doesn't do well divorce. These are divorces. <laughs> <laughs> These are divorces to find relief from a real toxic situation. And one day their, eye their eyes open and they accept reality that their spouse is too destructive. And if they stay, uh, their life, their sanity, their reputation, their children, and their future will be destroyed too. So let me go through the top 10. Um, I'm going to focus on the, the top five. Number one is going to be really surprising to anyone watching this who isn't familiar with the dynamics of abuse. And that is um, people wake up and realize I'm not just in a painful marriage. I'm not just in a um, sad marriage. I'm not just in an unhappy marriage. This is actually abuse. There's a word for what's happening to me and it's abuse. And a lot of times they don't realize this until they see a list of abusive practices, uh, uh, examples of abuse. So I've got one of these on my website, uh, lifesavingdivorce.com slash 130 examples, 130 examples. And this wakes people up because for example, a lot of people don't realize that uh, when you have a spouse who wakes you up in the middle of the night for no good reason, that is sleep deprivation. And that's actually considered torture under the Geneva Convention. So that is a form of abuse. Um, number two, the second most uh, voted for uh, turning point in my poll was protect uh, people left to protect their children from either um, having uh, abuse directed at them or from seeing their mother or father being abused. So it's either direct or indirect uh, abuse. When uh, people, it's very common for abuse victims to say, you know, you can hit me or you can criticize me or you can belittle me or you can demean me or you can lie to me, but don't you dare do that to our children because I'm, it's gonna end there. And um, sure enough, that's often, the, the shattering event 
when they realize their children are either experiencing abuse or seeing abuse, that they walk out. The third uh, a most common reason that people give for finally getting out of, of abuse is um, they pray about it. And they say, God, give me clarity. Just tell me what to do. I've tried. I've prayed. I've fasted. I've tried being more agreeable. I've tried being more sexually enthusiastic. I have done everything. My church my pastor, my woman's director, and focus on the family told me to do 1,000 times. I mean, this isn't like I've tried three times or six times or 10 times or 20 times. I've literally tried 1,000 times, 2,000 times. I mean, for people who've been in a 20-year marriage, that's 7,000 days. So they come to the Lord and say, tell me what to do. I don't believe in divorce. I don't make, I don't believe you're happy with divorce. Tell me what to do because I can't take it anymore. And believe it or not, God oftentimes tells them they can go. For some people, it might be a Bible verse. For other people, it might be a sign. For some people, it might be, um, you know, God, tell me one year from today, tell me if I should leave. And God does. It is really amazing. And I'm not the kind of person who, you know, feels like the Holy Spirit's always talking to me. But when you're praying that way, when you devoutly believe that God hates divorce, and yet you're asking God, nothing short of a sign from you will let me walk out that door. Uh, it might be a dream. It's often a dream in some cases. So, and that's a very biblical thing. God speaks to people in dreams all the time in scripture. Um, the fourth uh, most common reason that people get out or shattering event that, that um, makes them leave is that they simply can't take it anymore. They have depression, they have suicidal thoughts, or uh, as we know, meta, uh, do, uh, abuse really does a number on us both mentally and physically. So abuse does correlate with all kinds of autoimmune diseases and with all kinds of mental health issues. And some people, it, it, it sends them to the hospital. And I remember one man in, in my group, and I've interviewed him uh, on my YouTube channel, who said, um, I had such suicidal thoughts. Uh, I was hospitalized. And for the first time in my life, I felt safe. I felt safe. And I felt I could finally look at my situation and not just, you know, walk on eggshells and be afraid of my abusive wife. I could think through what my next step was. And I could think through the difference between what my church was telling me and what was actually happening. Um, I, could, I could think through between my wife's false allegations and what was true. And so for many of these people, they get hospitalized and they feel safe for whatever the length of time is for a week or two weeks or even 30 days. And they get professional treatment for the first time. And secular therapists are, you know, not impressed by, you know, Christians lack of real research on these topics. And they come to the person and say, you know, what's the truth that's going on in your life? And uh, so a lot of people make the decision to, um, to leave after they've been hospitalized for a suicide and things like that. Uh, the, the next one is a friend walked with me and gave me courage. It's very interesting. Um, a lot of us, in, in my case, I had a friend who was probably... 30 or 40 years older than me. She was at church. We were in a woman's group together. And when I told her I was going through a divorce and I was breaking into tears every five seconds, she looked at me in the eye and she took my hand and she said, divorce is not the worst thing in the world. And she smiled and winked at me. <laughs> you have no idea, or maybe, well, you probably I do. do. Have, yes, yes. But, but people watching this may not have any idea of how powerful that is. Because here she was a woman, 30, 40 years older than me, who had raised her three daughters herself. 
And her three daughters were spectacular human beings. And my girlfriend, this woman friend, was a, a high-ranking financial officer in a major Christian organization. And I can't tell you how much hope that gave me. Uh, that was really wonderful. I'm going to go through the, the, the next five uh, reasons people leave very quickly, and I won't go into much detail on them. Um, number six is someone I respected told me I was free to go. It might be a boss. It might be a doctor. It might be a pastor. And it might be a, an old friend from high school. Uh, number seven was uh, I could see the vicious anger in my spouse. I could read it in their face, and I knew that if I didn't escape with the clothes on my back and race out that door, I would be killed. And so I have a lot of people in my group who raced out that door and never returned. Uh, number eight was uh, my, my spouse divorced me or walked out on me, so you didn't even have a choice. You, there's unilateral uh, no-fault divorce in, uh, in most states in the United States. Number nine was an old friend told me I was worthy of love, not disrespect. This is really common with people who knew you in high school or in, in college and said, you know, I still see that you're valuable and worthy and that you're a wonderful person. And I can see you've been beaten down by your spouse, but that wonderful person is still deep there inside. And, um, and then last is the gray divorce. And number 10 is the kids have left the nest. It's the empty nest syndrome. And the woman or the man looks at the other person and realizes there's no longer children to act as a buffer in this home. There's no longer children to act as witnesses to any violence in this home. I am sleeping with the enemy. I am alone with a very dangerous person. And so um, those are the top 10 that I've seen. Oh, I so appreciate that, Gretchen. I especially want to focus on uh, the fifth one because, um, you know, every survey that they do uh, now comes up with the same statistic that one in four church members are in a destructive relationship. And it seems the church has known about abuse for over 30 years. And it's like, it's not making much difference. Uh, there are some denominations that are, you know, we have the conferences, we have the workshops, we have uh, this, that, and the other, but still um, I think the members themselves either don't know how to approach it or it's too horrific an idea to think that a leader, especially a pastor or a devout deacon or an elder would be uh, uh, abusing the spouse in the home. It's just beyond their comprehension. And so too much, I think of the old ideas that it must be her fault operate within the church. And even for those who don't scorn and disdain the suffering uh, spouse, uh, they are so uh, bewildered as to what might be helpful. Uh, they certainly don't want to expose themselves to a violent person. And um, I was just wondering um, if you see any of the churches or the church members becoming more informed about, like you said, it's taken you this long to learn uh, are more churches communicating this uh, idea that this is not uh, just bad behavior. This is not, he just had a bad day. Uh, these minimization phrases are not helping people in the church understand this is an extreme danger. It's destroying people, it's destroying children. And this is something that as the church, we have an obligation to extend compassion to someone who's being demoralized every day and having their faith in the case of religious domestic abuse, having their faith used against them because the marriage itself is a legal and religious binding 
reality that makes it hard for people to leave. And so we are now reaching the conclusion that we're going to have to do something about the widespread collusion within the church because women are leaving in droves. Yeah. And uh, the women leave because they may go to a pastor who is absolutely clueless. Uh, The standard uh, Bible prayer, uh, these things about pray more, believe more, love more, these do not work in this situation because you're dealing with an individual who is only using the faith in order to control the spouse because the faith is important to the spouse. So uh, do you see any progress or signs of hope that more pastors and more church members are at least showing an interest in learning what might be helpful? Like you said, that hand, that hand of that uh, mother of the church. Yeah. I mean, it's just so powerful. And well, look what yeah. she did. She didn't, you know, turn her home out or anything. But this disdain or scorn or gossip, this con- condemnation or judgment that is put on women who are in suffering. I'm, I want church women to understand. I think they can turn it around. I think the women of the church do most of everything, and they can make this place a place of compassion once again for women especially who have been so downgraded and and are being downgraded uh so are you seeing any evidence to give you hope that more uh more pastors or members or uh, church women are open to helping well i didn't expect to talk about it exactly but you brought up something that really hit me hard and that is that women can really do uh make even if the pastor doesn't even if the light hasn't turned on for the pastor maybe he's he's well-meaning but he's you know focused somewhere else like on evangelism the women in the church can really do a great deal um when little did my church really know i went to a church that only allowed uh divorce for adultery and abandonment by an unbeliever and we started this group. Um, I've already told you that story. Um, uh, my my girlfriend and I, uh, we were both single moms, but we were both infidelity survivors, right? So we weren't abuse survivors per se. We, we had been cheated on. And so we started this group expecting everyone else to be uh, someone who'd been cheated on, only to just be swamped with women who had been beaten, women who'd been... Um, slammed up against the wall, women who'd had knives thrown at them, uh, women who had just been treated awfully. And so my co-leader and I looked at each other and said, what are we going to do now? Our church technically doesn't think that divorce is okay for a physical or emotional abuse, but these women are women of faith they stayed in these horrible situations because they loved the Lord. What, what does this mean about God? What does this mean about our understanding of the Bible? And so we finally decided that God can't possibly be okay with emotional and physical abuse, especially when these women would tell us, you know, we are so grateful that you believe us because no one believes anyone, but you infidelity survivors. And it's so bad. We get so little compassion that some days we actually wish our husband would cheat on us. That would be, or, or leave bruises for goodness sake, rather than belittling us, mocking us, giving us the silent treatment for two or three months, refusing to, to give us money to even pay for groceries. Um, And so my co-founder and I agreed that this cannot possibly be good. Uh, This cannot be what a righteous, loving God would want. So we accepted everyone. If if they had a life-saving divorce, if they had a, a divorce for really serious reasons, then they were welcome in our group. Absolutely. Now, 
lo and behold, we never had anyone come to our group who got an I, I'm bored divorce or I miss the party life uh, divorce or gee, I just feel unfulfilled divorce. Every single person who darkened our doors was somebody in tremendous um, problems. And so she and I just, um, we treated everyone the same. And, um, and, it, and it wasn't until later in my um, teaching and, and searching the scriptures that I realized that there really were Bible verses, Exodus 21, 10 through 11, and Deuteronomy 21, 10 through 14, that show that uh, abuse is, uh, abuse and neglect genuinely are genuine grounds for, um, for uh, divorce. In fact, God even commanded men who treated their wives badly uh, he commanded them to divorce them and let them go. Uh, so uh, presumably, so they could find someone who actually would, would treat them okay. Anyway, um, so I love your question. I do think that even if you're uh, a woman in a church that te technically believes in only uh, none or one or two reasons for divorce and none of those are abuse, I think you can still do a great single mother's group in your church and really offer a lot of hope. Uh, but then you you went back and you asked me about pastors specifically. Um, do, we have, do we have a minute for me to talk a little bit about, yeah. okay, thank you. Yeah. Um, I think this is a really good question because someone cha challenged me back in 2010 to read every book on the history of divorce uh, that covers the past, 3000 years. <laughs> and, and what I've discovered is that they were always churches and societies and leaders who cared about abused wives and were in favor of life-saving divorces. And there were also always through the past 3000 years, people who were the opposite, leaders who really didn't care about these victims and their children. They just wanted to stand for idealism rather than reality. Um, let me give you an example of the English reformers in the 1500s and the Puritans in the 1600s listed cruelty as one of their reasons for divorce. And the Bible in Exodus 21, 10 through 11 says that the neglect of provisions and the neglect of marital rights is grounds for divorce. I have a quote from an American patriot back in the 1700s, just after the Revolutionary War, who wrote an article on the tragedy of seeing abused wives commit suicide because they felt trapped in their violent relationships. And the man said it was a travesty. It doesn't honor God and it makes God look cruel and it would be better to let abused spouses out. Um, and so I want I want everyone to know that the fact that we have churches um, that are compassionate and churches that are um, hard-hearted is nothing new. It's been going on for hundreds, if not thousands of years. Um, and I do wanna be fair. I, I do think that most parent, uh, pa I'm sorry. I, uh, I do think that most pastors go into the ministry to help people, not to hurt them. And I don't think that churches realize that they are siding with the abusers and betraying um, spousal abuse victims and their children when they pressure uh, uh, an abused wife or an abused husband to try harder, pray more, be more agreeable, uh, be more sexually enthusiastic. These are little trite bits of advice that I'm sure this woman or man has done more than a thousand times in their marriage. So when are we going to say to a woman or to a man, you've done enough. Now it's your husband's job to be mature, to be self-controlled, to be kind, committed, responsible, caring, for goodness sake, even to just obey the Ten Commandments. It, it's not your fault and it's not your responsibility. Each of us stand before Jesus at the, at the great throne of judgment in the end uh, on our own. And we are asked 
about, you know, uh, our sins are all revealed at that time. So the pastor and the leaders may be very well-meaning, uh, but they all only get their information from their friends and from, uh, frankly, sources that are um, not known for their accuracy, focus on the family and family life, um, who try to make divorcees out to be quitters who just took the easy way out, um, which is a claim uh, on the Focus on the Family uh, website or on the Family Life website. They actually have a claim that if, if you've been treated badly and you've been injured and you want to leave, then you're hard-hearted. You're the one deceived by the deceiver. And you just go, you know, what kind of person could publish that? What kind of organization could possibly say that about abuse victims? These people stay for 10, 20, 30, 40 years. Are you nuts? You know, uh, a 20 year marriage, that means over 7,000 times they've walked back into that house to face that mean or indifferent or vengeful or hate-filled person. Uh, let me tell you, they are not the hard-hearted ones. They've proven to the world that they tried. Um, and, and, but I don't wanna to be too hard on pastors and church leaders because before my divorce, I too believed that divorcees were weak-willed people who just couldn't go the distance in marriage like the rest of us, you know? Or that divorcees selfishly put their own happiness ahead of their children. And they didn't care. They were just looking for the grasses greener and they didn't care if divorce destroyed their kids. Um, but that was before I got my own life-saving divorce. And I apologize to anyone back in the 1970s and 1980s uh, that uh, who I'm, I might have uh, judged. Um, and I wanted to say something else. I am not a therapist and I don't have any degrees in psychology or counseling. Um, but as I said earlier, I have one advantage over counselors who are paid and pastors who, who have uh, pastoral counseling is just one of many hats they wear. And that's that I've listened to literally thousands of stories from abuse victims. Um, and um, you just, if you're, if you don't ever hear these stories from the lips of the people who are abuse victims, you really are taking someone else's word for it. Don't do that. Come to my website, come to the life-saving divorce. I have lots of people's stories. I have YouTube videos telling stories, listen to them, develop some compassion soften your heart, have ears to hear, because um, Jesus came to set the captives free and to set people free from the bondage of evil. And there are hardly few things than the evil that is done um, to an innocent spouse cowering in fear in their own home behind closed doors. So um, one of the things I no longer believe um, are some of the, what I call the five big lies in Christian mar marriage articles. Uh, the five big lies are that divorce is universally destructive to children. No, it's not. Uh, in 30 years of research show that uh, divorce is likely the absolute best thing for children in high conflict, highly toxic homes. The next big lie is the divorce is universally destructive to adults. Uh, you'll never be happy again. You're going to be depressed and that uh, your next marriage will fail too. But the truth of the matter is that studies have been done on long-term miserable, unhappy, let's just call them what they are, abusive or unfaithful marriages. And if you were in one of those long, miserable, unhappy marriages, guess what? Your next marriage is likely to be much happier. Um, and I found in, in a straw poll I did in my life-saving divorce uh, private Facebook group that eight in 10 people said that their health improved after their separation, of or, uh, their separation or divorce. 
And in another straw poll, I ask, how do your children feel about you being divorced? Are your children, do you have, I have a lot of big homeschool families, like, you know, five to 12 kids. Okay. So I asked the question this way, is at least one of your children really happy you got divorced? And more than eight in 10 people who responded to this survey, uh, and it, it's a straw poll, it's not a scientific survey, uh, said, yes, I had at least one child who was, was happy, or at least felt the divorce was the best option in a horrible situation. Um, 10, 10 out of 100, uh, or you know, one in 10 said, well, I've never asked my kids. And then another um, almost uh, one in 10 said, no, uh, none of my children uh, agree with my decision to, to divorce. So that's saying that the vast majority of children in these highly toxic, abusive homes are thrilled when their nurturing, loving parent finally gets to safety. Another big lie is that God hates divorce in every case. Uh, people who say that miss the fact that uh, divorce is actually commanded three times in the Bible and only prohibited once. And we don't have time to go into it today, but if you'd like to see my evidence for that, uh, people can go to lifesavingdivorce.com slash abuse hyphen in hyphen Bible. Uh, and then the fifth big lie is that a good spouse can single-handedly fix a marriage and make it loving and safe. No, I'm sorry. You know, um, you can't. It doesn't matter how positive you are, how good an example you set. Uh, you cannot make a person who feels entitled to abuse, who feels entitled to cheat, who feels entitled to treat you any way they like, you're not going to be able to make that person change. And if that person has claimed to be a Christian all these years, let's say they're the elder or the pastor you mentioned earlier, then they've been reading the Bible. God's been calling them to righteousness for thousands of days. And the Holy Spirit has been convicting them of sin and righteousness for thousands of days. If God can't get through to them, how can a mere human being like you or me get through to them? God gives free will. God doesn't force people to follow him. We're not little robots. So I think that's, um, that I want to free people who are in abusive situations, who've been told that if they just do more, that it'll, it'll change. No, you've already done more. You've done thousands of mores and it hasn't changed your spouse. I'm so glad you brought that up, Gretchen, because I came to that understanding myself that it was really prideful of me to think that I could do what only the Holy Spirit can do. Uh, the person has to work with the Holy Spirit uh, himself or herself I just would like to thank you for your time. I would like to just put in here that I think the easy answer or the simple answer for anyone is to educate themselves. There's a ton of information out there. Your, your side and book, your group, my group, my side and it's just so, I'm so pleased that so many people are understanding that using God's name to abuse is still abuse and it is not godly. And that I had a pastor tell me uh, that they gave their church supported the shelter and that was all they needed to do. And I'm just encouraging the pastors to educate their members that if part of the doctrine is that the woman must submit, then that encourages a batterer and even people who aren't in the church, uh, there are records of uh, men or women quoting that verse to justify their mistreatment of their spouses. So if, if the least that a pastor could do is begin to educate the congregation and uphold the dignity and value of the woman as 
the same equal soul as the husband. Women are not second-class souls. Jesus was clear about the way he treated women, that he values them as well as men. So I think education and just, uh, just adhere to the foundational teaching of compassion for the suffering. And love makes a way. Love will make a way for you to help the suffering member who is in a destructive relationship. So thank you so much for your expertise, your compassion, and uh, your work, Gretchen. And I'm honored to be partnering with you in opening the door. Well, I'm honored to be partnering with you too. I've interviewed you three times. <laughs> My interviews with you are up uh, on, on uh, YouTube and they are powerful. And uh, in fact, I was gonna stop at doing two interviews with you and I had so many people say, how did Shirley you know, make it after divorce? And so that's why I had to do the, the third interview with you. So yeah, and, and I wanna just go back and, and say what you said, and that is imitate Christ. Look at how Christ dealt with women. He was always respectful. He, he met with them alone. And you know, he never chewed out any women in the Bible. He, um, he was pretty uh, harsh with the guys who got in his face, but even the women who talked back to him, Jesus always praised them in the end. So God, uh, Jesus had a real soft spot in his heart for women. Absolutely. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Gretchen. Peace You're and very blessings. Welcome. Thank you.